Welcome to The Other Coast, a podcast detailing the Malifaux meta in Los Angeles. My name is Jeff, and with me is another SoCal player, Colgan. Hey, everyone. Hey, Colgan. Uh, so, today we're going to be talking about subpar models that we still take. Uh, and we should say that, you know, when we, use, when we use the word subpar, this is not an absolute value judgment. We are not in a position to make any such judgment. Uh, but Even it's... though we do frequently. <laughs> <laughs> but it's subpar in the context of the kind of results that we see uh, when we hire them, The you know, to the extent that we are aware of or in tune with kind of a, like, the general Malifaux zeitgeist, sort of, you know, some of these models that are going to be on these lists are a bit maligned as well for their, you know, lack of efficiency or, or other issues. But none of this is... Um, to say that these models have no value or that you're wrong for taking them or that we're right for, you know, saying that they are subpar, even in the situations in which we're going to complain about them. I mean, we could simply be using them wrong or stupid. Um, I, that, that last one, I, I'm, I'm not really so sold on, uh, or at least I'm hoping it's not true, <laughs> uh, but I guess we'll have to see. Um, so. I guess I'll start, uh, and we'll just kind of, you know, we've got a list of models. We'll see how many we end up kind of wanting to talk about, but I'll start. Uh, and one of the, uh, one of my favorite models is Hans. I've mentioned this on the pod in, um, many, many episodes, I think at this point that I just, I really like him and I take him regardless of whether or not he's going to be appropriate for the pool. I take him regardless of uh, terrain or deployment. You, you know, if, if I can fit him into an outcast crew that I'm playing, uh, you know, one that doesn't really have guns, it's not that I try to take him in Von Schill or whatever. Um, but basically, if, if I feel like I need some sort of fire support and I can fit in Hans, I do it. And part of it is that I love his second edition sculpt. I think it uh, is a lot cooler than his third edition. He's just kind of more casual. He's smoking his cigar i prefer the way he's got his rifle slung um over you know over uh, a shoulder or something uh it, not that there's anything wrong third edition sculpt third edition sculpt is fine i just prefer the second edition sculpt uh and i you know i i, I do like him as a sniper uh even you know even though i i as we talked about in the episode we did on the cockroach rifle, it's not really clear to me in most cases whether or not that role is justifying itself. Um, but still, I like him. I like his potential to add all the suits. You know, the idea of shooting two strong models and giving them both slow. And, you know, like something about it feels sort of malifoe I like Hans, and it's not just like to shoot people and do damage. It's actually to like spread out slow. Cause I'm a sophisticated Malifaux player and I'm not, you know, just trying to wipe my enemy off the board, even though that pretty much is my only strategy for victory. The problem with Hans, in my opinion, uh, he's got really slow movement, which is, you know, supposed to be offset by the range of his gun. But when you're, not the best at positioning it's a it's a problem but even if your positioning is pretty solid there are attacks against move um you can't really assume he's going to need to spend the whole game where you set him up even if you set him up in a pretty good spot uh but even more than that his defenses are terrible 
He's got defense four. He's an enforcer, so he can't stone for anything. He's got disguised, which isn't, you know, nothing, especially in a world where we've got just a ton of alpha strike models. Um, but he gets shot off the board by pretty much any other sniper. Uh, and if he had stealth, he instead of disguised, he would just be far more solid. But he's got what he's got. He's only eight stones. And I often use his sort of moderate to high cost to val you know, to justify going, well, he's only eight. I can do it. <laughs> How often do you use warning shot with him? How often does he get shot? How often do you use warning shot? <laughs> oh, warning shot. Um, so I would say not a ton uh, compared to his regular shot. Uh, but in pools where, uh, you know, like guard the vaults, where you're trying to claim a particular marker um, or, you know, you need to move an enemy off a position, like for protected territory, you don't want an enemy within three inches of the scheme marker. Um, oftentimes, you know, those sort of positioning denial effects, uh, can be pretty cool. Now, unfortunately his warning shot is stat five, which I, I don't really understand. It's not yeah, so great weird. of an action that it needs a stat five, especially cause you know, the, the sort of move, the reason I, I use it, you know, the, the way I'm describing, I've gotten value from it in the past takes a crow. So you either have to have gotten a crow from his bonus action. Um, which requires a card discard, so it is, you know, a, a reasonable notice. It's a noticeable cost, I guess, is what I what I would say. I don't know if it's actually reasonable. Mm. It feels a bit overcosted, honestly. There, um, but yeah, being step five and needing the trigger to get the movement effect that I'm saying justifies this action means that this action isn't something I want to take very often. First of all, if I have to. Um, but you know, then second of all, if I do have to take it, it doesn't really have the same degree of reliability. Um, you know, if your enemy has stat six, you're looking at a situation where you can't even reliably force it through in most cases. Um, if it's, you know, the difference between scoring. I just really enjoy the implication that getting shot at is more distracting than actually getting shot. <laughs> In um in Necromunda, you know, the very first league we did at the store, the sneak attack rules at, at, at the time um, were, you know, if you shoot a gun, uh, mm -hmm. it's possible for other models around to, to have heard the gunshot, right? But if you hit a model with the shot and they don't die, they're not automatically alerted. And oh, yeah. it, it would kind of seem to me sort of suspicious if I if I was shot, <laughs> so I mean, you obviously haven't lived in not in the underhive. Okay, that is fair, right? The underhive is so horrific. Uh, but still, even if I can't specifically uh, ascribe the shot to a cause, I think it would still be noteworthy that I was shot. <laughs> um, one can hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so warning shot. I wouldn't. I, I I think it should definitely be stat six for for one thing, but I also I always think it's going to be situational when you compare it to Clockwork Rifle. Uh, in in a way, mm -hmm. it being situational strengthens the argument to give it stat six or maybe even stat seven. Under you know Hans Hans doesn't care if he hits the guy right, just shooting 
shooting anywhere near him is is good enough uh, to to do what Hans is trying to achieve there. Um, and I think at stat seven, it becomes, you know, it doesn't suddenly justify Hans as a model, um, but you get that reliability in this specialized denial purpose, which I think makes it more attractive. Yeah, it'd be nice, like one of those nice buffs that I don't think will actually change the math on taking Hans or not at all. Yeah. Well, it's also one of those buffs that's really not going to happen because I don't think Hans, uh, as much as I like him and, uh, you know, despite the problems that he has, I don't think he is anywhere near Weird's attention like on, on, on the list of models that they're going to uh, dedicate their annual edit resources on yeah yeah i would agree with that i also don't think he really needs to be like he's not amazing but he's not terrible either like you can take him and he'll be okay you know angel eyes got a sorely needed buff which is good right but hans is always kind of like teetering on that edge i feel like well so part of the issue i think with hans is his cost if he were cost six and had six wounds he is a much more appealing model to me at that point. Mm. And, you know, maybe we even have to knock his willpower down to five, um, which is unfortunate, but he's ruthless. So it, his his sniper role would still be preserved where he becomes a lot more vulnerable at this point because he's only got six wounds and he doesn't have stealth. So, you know, there's a lot of ranged attacks out there uh, that can hit him. But I suspect many people would be more interested in him at six stones, uh, four, five, and six health than they are currently at his his eight stone. Uh, have you hired him before? Yeah, yeah, I've hired him every now and then when I played Outcast. Yeah, I can play an out. Oh, I guess, I guess sometimes with Hamlin, maybe, because mm. I'm thinking that's like the only Outcast master that I've really played in recent memory. Mm -hmm. What was your experience with him? Eh, he feels like he's going to be a lot stronger going into the game than he really ends up being. I feel like you know, it's like all right, as long as I have like a low crow or any crow in hand, then I can pretty much just like, you know, just give slow to like any anyone i want on the board but it never really seems to work out that way you like <laughs> drop your crow you miss your first shot and then your second shot you just like black joker and then just and then he dies and it feels terrible i mean all of his triggers are good right gaining a pass token activation control fantastic stagger Stagger's, you know, probably the worst trigger of the four, and it's not bad. Well, I don't know if I'd say the worst. Crit strike, when it matters, it matters a lot, but oftentimes it's kind of like, okay, well, two damage, oh, plus one for crit strike, right? Um, it didn't really change the situation, whereas Stagger, you know, can change the situation, and so can slow, and so can gaining activation control, or activation parity if you've lost activation. So it, it, it's not so much that Han's doesn't have an impact on the game. I mean, I definitely think that he can, but like you, I, you know, in this like pre-game scenario I've cooked up, he's just going to be this oppressive force on the battlefield, and he's not. And at eight stones, sure, he shouldn't be. But 
it, he's not taken on the table very frequently at all. Even, you know, in, in the higher level games that I watch on Vassal, he's very rarely taken. And I think that that is saying something. I think he probably is overcosted for what he does. Um, or that he's just too easy to take off the table, which also, I mean, does mean overcosted in, in you know, in, in a different way. I, uh, <laughs> I was watching a game with Plog, who, uh, he's the, he's the newly crowned world champion, and, and he won an earlier Vassal World Series also, you know, so obviously one of the strongest Malifaux players in the world. And he hired Hans, and I was watching this game, and I was like, all right. I am finally going to see how to use Hans and I'm going to take this, you know, <laughs> take this and add it to the secret sauce. And then Hans is going to be awesome. And no, Hans had the exact same game experience for, you know, like the best player in the world that he did for me. He did nothing. And then he died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like you usually get off like one or two slows, but. After, uh, like, towards the end of the game, it feels like it wasn't even worth that. Yeah, and his move for, it's this end of the game part where his, his low move really comes into play. Where, you know, mm. both sides have beaten each other up pretty good. And some of your backline models now who have, you know, remained a bit safer maybe. Um, you know, it depends on the game flow, obviously. But there are games that go this way. Uh now you'd like to move them up and start doing scoring stuff with them. Well, Hans's move four makes that a much more difficult proposition. Uh, but I, you know, I'm not going to stop taking him. So whatever. Uh, Colgan, <laughs> who, what, what's your first model? Uh, this one hurts. The fire golem. All right. I, I love this model. I, I love the sculpt. I was really proud of the paint job I had for it. I had like my first few games of Karis where I felt like, you know, I got the setup, so I'm hitting like seven or eight burning turn one. Mm -hmm. And then I go into my first game against Chiaki and she has like what a stat seven remove condition <laughs> and he dies in like one turn before I can get any support for him. It's just, especially compared to like all the other golems, like I feel like all the other golems are like pretty tanky. Especially seeing like Ice Golem on the table where that can just like heal himself mm -hmm. in addition to having armor too. Like, sure, you can get stuff for like armor piercing to start chunking him down, but unless you can like clear him really quickly, it's almost kind of trivial to get him healed back up. Or by the time you do kill him, I feel like he's soaked enough actions that I'm generally kind of fine with him dying. But. Yeah, the Fire Golem, because I, I feel like his thing is, you know, it's like the, the fastest Golem. He has like a really nice bonus action to get like a lot of free movement, so he can move quickly up the board. He hits pretty hard. He has a nice Shockwave that um, has the ability to wipe scheme markers, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. So it feels like he has a lot of utility, a lot of speed, and as long as you can keep the burning up on him he's reasonably resilient and you know he gets past things like armor piercing but all the enemy has to do is take like a five point model clear his conditions and then it's so hard to like try and keep that burning stack or even try to replace it compared to the one ap it takes to remove it all right 
and it's just it's just a losing battle and it being an enforcer meaning you know i'm it's just 10 hit points no defensive abilities and it just gets it just gets knocked down like a sack of shit and it feels terrible (laughs) you know i am surprised by how maneuverable it is because that wasn't really uh part of his identity in my mind but then when you said it you know i looked it up and yeah i mean draw flames giving it a lot of movement right i mean eight inches to a model and then you can place into that model's base so you know that's going to extend by the model's base size potentially and then the fire golem itself is a, a 50 mil so yeah i mean he doesn't rival the um uh the wind go- for wind golem maybe but he's he's definitely no slouch in maneuverability uh you know i think for me part of it might be that all he does is bring damage and a keyword that can do i think comparable amounts of damage with uh maybe not so much of an investment um his defenses being based on conditions does run into the you know the issues that we talked about in the past about uh, conditions and condition masters. I bet he is pretty solid on most casual boards because unless you build in anti-condition tech um, or you know irreducible damage, uh, he seems pretty resilient to me. Yeah, as long as you can get like the unpack, which with Karis isn't super difficult. Like, yeah, you get burning up to eight or nine. And honestly, that's usually enough to last most of the game since you can get incidental burning increases. You can just draw a flame from enemies you set on fire as well. So it's not, you know, you get that like huge spike at the beginning. And if they don't have any way of removing those conditions, then you're usually able to just kind of survive off of that for the rest of the game until he eventually succumbs to his wounds. But by then again, like he's probably soaked enough damage that you're okay with it, considering he's reducing pretty much every single attack against him by two damage. Right. So in, you know, in your experience in the games where he underperforms, is he underperforming because your opponent had the right tech? And so he ends up dying very easily despite, you know, for, I, I should say rather he dies easily for a model of his cost, right? Cause supposed to be able to reduce damage with burning but if he has no burning that doesn't work if the opponent is irreducible that doesn't work whatever uh or is it more that um you know you take him he's he's kind of fine but it's sort of what i was saying before all he is is a damage dealer he doesn't other than pass out burning he doesn't really have a ton of keyword synergy right he doesn't make pyre markers except dying he doesn't have anything to buff friends or move friends. He's basically just a fiery beater, and you know that's not been enough for you. What 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 is like the crux of the fire golem's disappointing performance? It's mainly just the liability. Like if my opponent takes that model that can remove burning conditions, all of a sudden there's just like this huge no fly zone that my fire golem can no longer participate in. And that's like a fifth of my, that, you know, that's 20% of my crew. Mm-hmm. So it, it just makes it really hard to use. And it makes it really hard to like justify bringing into the crew because, you know, it can bring like lower cost models that are more survivable and aren't as easily hard countered. Mm-hmm. In the case where, 
you know, I'm able to get that burning on and my opponent doesn't have a reliable way of removing it. I think he performs fine. You know, he kind of does what I need him to do, just like sit there and tie up the enemy or hold points. Because with Karis, you don't really have a lot of tanky options. It's more kind of about like mobility and then area control with pyre markers being everywhere and just punishing the opponent for moving too aggressively. So, but if you actually need to hold a point, you don't have a lot of options. What about giving this guy Soulstone Cash? It can help, but again, if you're, you know, Soulstones are your only defense, like it burn you burn through them so fast and it becomes a question of if it's worth it to like Dump, you know, now you have a 12-point model <laughs> that you're dumping additional stones into to try and keep alive. Yeah, and... I mean, at that point... It, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was like, I'm mean, gonna just take the duet at that point. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think that's part of it, right? At, at his cost level, only fighting is, I think, a bit of a hard sell especially if he has a hole in his defenses the way that he he does right now. Um, Because a lot of the other models uh, that are in this cost range have some sort of utility to your crew. They have, you know, ride with me, or they're giving out defensive abilities or or whatever, right? And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, or they have third APs, which the, the Fire Golem doesn't have right the fire golem has no way to get extra attacks no way to get uh no way even to get um like extra you know it doesn't have reposition or whatever right so it can't even get little little extra moves in that way um its triggers aren't bad but it doesn't have a lot of them it only has three triggers for a 10 stone model so i i mean i think to me what would really sort of prevent me from wanting to take the fire golem is that it seems like i could pay maybe like you said 12 and get the duet or you know 13 out of keywords so i mean three stones that that is that is significant but the duet does so much um you could take the mech rider um you could i mean you could just do a lot with 10 stones right uh and probably get kind of closer to a model that is giving you combat ability and some sort of crew efficiency boost. Yeah, I, I think that is one of the big things, right? If you're taking the fire goal and you're taking it because you need some muscle in your crew and you want them to be, you know, fighting and tying up the enemy, but when their defensive ability is so binary and it's so critical to like being able to like determine how long you can hold a position on the board it's such a gamble to take like on that note with the cost like fire gammon i think fire gammon are great you know like you're not taking three but for cost four flaming body is fine like if you want to like waste actions removing burning from it Uh in order to like kill a four point model i don't really care that much you know even though it's the same ability and they but they have like most of the same utility as the fire golem except you're not investing like the entirety of your crew into hoping they work out. And also once you get uh, to the stage of the game where again, the model counts gotten down, you're, you need like every model to score um, or you, I mean, you really are looking at every model scoring possibilities. 
the fact that the fire golem um has uh draw flame is nice but it's it's dependent i mean there are going to be circumstances where his its movement options are not appealing and even i mean potentially mm-hmm. maybe non-existent um well, well actually, i shouldn't say that because it can always target itself so as long as it has a burning it can target itself yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you with the Fire Golem. I, I, I definitely think it is sort of a marginal model. I don't see it very much in the higher level games that I watch. Again, I want to emphasize here that I watch. <laughs> I am not participating <laughs> at these levels. Uh, but yes, I, I have seen a lot of games with Karis, and the Fire Golem does not make it on the table very often at all. Uh, and part of that also could be the kinds of pools where... Karis makes sense because as you mentioned the rest of her keyword it's got a lot of fast um sort of schemey options it can still do you know like reasonable damage but i don't know if Karis is necessarily um well i'm you can take Karis for an all-out brawl i'm not saying you can't um but i don't know if she's a better choice than say hoffman for instance and so maybe that's another reason why it's a bit tougher to get the fire golem because the crews where you want Karis over Hoffman, um, it's a bit more difficult to fit in ten stones of just pure combat power that's not doing anything. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, I said Hoffman. Of course, you can also take Damien, but you know he's just kind of. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, I'll go next. I will pick. Angelica. So I played Colette pretty pretty close to exclusively in second edition. Um I really liked the aesthetic of her keyword. I really liked just the performer models, the way they look on the board and so I take Angelica. Uh I also you know, I had my Colette crew painted uh by a you know, very skilled painter. So that, that crew looks fantastic. Um, but I didn't have Carlos uh, available at the time. So that's another reason, I guess, why I would run Angelica. But I still um, I still just really like Angelica. And I would add Carlos if I had him painted to the same standard. I would just, you know, take shift other things around. Um, it's not necessarily that Angelica is bad. Uh, her bonus is really great it's a five inch move on any friendly keyword model which includes herself of course uh and there's no test it's got an eight inch range it's very decent um her her only defense is manipulative uh and she's an enforcer so she can't stones so you know that's that's not ideal um but for what do you want her for she's often in the back rank anyways if you've got a moderate tome she can throw scheme markers at range that's that always has some value, but in a pool like GG four, uh, it you know that escalates quite a bit. Her melee is is garbage, but you know if if she's doing her melee, you're kind of in problem. You know, you're kind of uh, you have problems anyways. I think the the bigger issue to me is that suddenly doves uh, her her shockwave action. Um, it's not so great if you don't need a scheme marker. <laughs> Because <laughs> all it's really doing is spreading distracted one. And uh, it, it, its only keywords are to put another marker um, or to, instead of getting a marker, get a get a ski marker. 
Um, and I really do think that her suddenly Dove's action um, needs to be a bit better. Like, if it could summon a Dove uh, at that point, I, I think she actually becomes quite an interesting model. Um, you know, her, her defensive trigger is is potentially a lot of fun. I think she's a model that seems close to being takeable. Uh, but she also does have the problem of being, you know, another movement schemey model in a keyword full of movement schemey models. So when would she be the the right choice compared to to some of the others? Um, but still, I take Angelica in almost every Colette game. Yeah. I'm like looking at her card trying to see like <laughs> what her usage is. Her only giving like distracted one on the suddenly doves is pretty rough. I think it also feels a little bit weird that it has a reliance on something that she has no control over. Like she doesn't bring doves into the game. She's completely reliant on Colette. Well, she can just drop a shockwave. She doesn't have to target a dove. It is an option. Yeah, but it's like, it feels weird to me to have like a mechanic based around something that the model can't control. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, that's just another argument for her to be able to summon a dove. That does feel like it would make sense, especially with like the name of it. It's not really suddenly doves, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, there's a dove over there. Maybe I can do something. And if you make it a when resolving trigger, uh, you know, then she could place the dove. And then it would pulse out from from where the dove got summoned. Um, which, you, you know, giving, giving distracted at a two-inch pulse from a shockwave, it's not that that's terrible, but it's... If that's all your seven-stone model can do, that's, that's simply just not good enough. Um, yeah. As I think we see, because Angelica's just not on the board. Pretty much. Yeah, I feel like if you're able to summon the dove and then secure that like 15 willpower check, then it seems like she'd be in a better place. I don't know if you'd take her, but at least it would feel less bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, her only having manipulative is a bit of a problem. She's pretty reliable to take off the table. Uh, mm -hmm. She does have, she has a really interesting defense trigger, um, but there are some problems with, with it. Uh, so first of all, it requires a mask, which isn't built in. I mean, that's not, you know, that's that's fair. Not everything should be built in, because then triggers, you know, I think become pretty stale. But the the scheme marker she can teleport the attacker to, it's Aura 12. So the attacking model can block line of sight to it, uh, potentially. Uh. And, you know, if you're playing on just an empty board, okay, it's going to be... You know, most 30 mil models you're going to be able to move and it's only the larger models you have to worry about. But, you know, Malvo isn't played on a board like that, right? So in many instances, uh, there are not going to be places where the defense trigger can save Angelica. You know, that has been my experience. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just like with Hans, defenses are a major problem. And this might be an indication of the fact that I really value defenses, and also it may just be that I'm too sloppy with my models, so they just get killed, period. Um, but when I saw Plog lose his Hans the way he did, honestly, I felt pretty <laughs> validated. <laughs> I mean, 
I think there's always the idea. It's like, oh, if you play perfect Malvo, you'll be fine. But I mean, I, I think there's a reason that, you know, once you climb up and cost anything without a defensive trigger is usually like pretty rarely seen in more like competitive places. It's just, it's just extra risk that you're taking on. And it's like, they have to have like either like really high mobility or other ways of like mitigating the fact that they can take maybe like one or two hits before they're off the table. Yeah. So she also has Herald, which again, I'm not a big fan of. Uh, first of all, I mean, I don't tend to like one off effects because uh, I, I mean, just psychologically, I feel so much pressure to use them correctly. Uh, but also her defenses aren't great. So how do you really want to use this Herald move? Uh, maybe move her along the side of a board of, you know, I could see that. Um, but you also kind of want her in a place where she can move around other performers with her bonus. So you never want her too far on her own anyways, because that bonus is pretty much the best thing on the card. Um, but yeah, well, just like with Hans, Angelica will continue to see play and continue to disappoint. Uh, what's your next model? <laughs> uh, so the next one for me is a more recent one, um, Teddy. Yeah. So I've been playing Pandora 2 lately, and as it is with most of the new crews I start, I like playing everything in keyword, so I'm always taking Baby Cade and Teddy. <laughs> and, like, looking at Teddy, I felt like he seems fine. You know, he's got, he's got a mishmash of all the defensive abilities, which are sorely lacking in the last few people we were talking about. Mm -hmm. He's got regeneration, terrifying, armor one. He can even get additional heals with Feed on Fear, and, you know, of course that always happens. <laughs> um, and he's got Flurry, which is great, especially on, you know, a melee 10-point model. Me, you know, if I get him in combat, I'm always getting, like, two to three attacks. But I, I feel like part of it, too, is just, like, mental conditioning. Because, like, the last few games that I've played him in, he's whiffed, like, every single attack. <laughs> and it's just giving me such a bad impression of him. Like, especially with, like, Baby Cade, like, I'll have coordinated attacks. I'm pulling him around so he doesn't even have to walk. It's, like, starting top of the round with, like, a fresh hand and, like, all three attacks. And my opponent's flipping, like, 12s and 13s. I'm, like, flipping 1s and 2s off the top of the deck. And it just feels terrible. Like, I don't really want to have to, like, drop, like, a 13 to try and hit when I know I have two more attacks coming. Right. Um, but also the fact that, like, his triggers on his melee attack are really underwhelming. One is Swallow You Whole, which, you know, you're procking maybe, like, once or twice a game, even though it's built in. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my case, never, because he just doesn't fucking hit anything. <laughs> um, and then bold over, which just feels like, you know, the sad version of, oh, what is it? Shove aside. What's the one that you shove aside? It's like, bold over is fine, but in a lot of the cases, it's like, Teddy's already kind of where I want him to be, or he's too fat to go <laughs> into a better place. Um, oh, he doesn't even ignore things when he does the push for Bold Over. No. Which is funny because, you know, the name just kind of implies that he is, you know, just through sheer mass. <laughs> going through people. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. 
he has consume which i don't i don't know like any crew that make any model in any crew that makes use of consume regularly it feels like a very niche thing to want to like because either the model you're killing is at full health and it feels like a waste or they're almost dead and actually wait oh yeah it's to the current health or they're almost dead and it doesn't really net you anything anyways mm -hmm. And, like, even then, I'd rather just keep them around with, like, 1 or 2 HP to possibly draw another attack than to, like, dump it onto another model. Um, and then you have Terrorize, which, if it wasn't enemy-only, it'd be nicer. But, yeah, it being enemy-only on my melee threat, there's very few situations where it feels like the correct choice. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Terrorize is situational at best. Um consume like you I, I i don't see it performed uh although now that ensnare is in the pool uh you could use it to deny ensnare which um you know is is amusing but there are better ways <laughs> to deny ensnare potentially than just eating your own model um but if it were the difference between winning and losing uh yeah you know i i, I would consume that model um, I mean, I agree with you with Teddy's triggers, uh, on his melee. I agree with you about Terrorize. I've Got Your Back is a good action, uh, and it's got, um, okay triggers, uh, but it's another, you know, it's another conditional type action. There's going to be many instances where it doesn't really do anything. Um, to me, the issue with Teddy is the same issue. A lot of these 10 or 9, 10, 11 cost four defense high high you know high defense models have you know like ototo and koji and stuff like that is it since these guys can't stone your opponent knows from the cards in hand and from the models that they have whether or not they can kill teddy with a high degree of reliability um and i feel like that's a difficult uh it's a difficult position for these high cost fighting models. I, I I think it is really what is keeping a lot of them down. Because I mean, I think of some of the games I played with Teddy. I think the most recent game, which actually wasn't very recent at all, um, but Ali and I were were joint piloting Dreamer against you. Um, hmm. We actually ended up winning this game, uh, but we lost Teddy super early to uh, like the Lone Swordsman. Um, that sounds correct. Yeah, uh, although it could have been the Lone Swordsman on his own. So uh, I think you were playing a Sami, so maybe a Jorgumo got summoned and, and did some swings or something. That's possible. Um, but, I mean, Teddy died in a very disappointing manner, and it's it's just because if you cannot stone, the math behind whether or not you will die is so much more reliable. Um, of course, sometimes you just die due to flips, and 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 you know there's really nothing you can do about that. But when your enemy, or sorry, your opponent, um, the other player isn't your enemy. Uh, when your opponent makes a committal type move, especially early in the turn where they have all their cards, usually it's because they know that this move is going to succeed. Uh, and at that point, you're just praying for a black joker on damage or something that's you know there's kind of this sinking feeling where you realize your opponent has already worked it out they know it's going to happen and only a joker can save you 
and I do think Teddy and Kojo and a lot of these kind of 10 stone fighting models uh, fall into that position when they can't reduce damage. Yeah, it's always a really bad feeling when you realize when you throw in these like beater models to like go in and do some damage, they whiff their attacks, and then you suddenly realize that they're not going to survive the turn. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, well, so I will actually follow you in Neverborn and talk about Carver. Now, we've, you know, we've talked about Carver in the past. He was in our Absolute Crap Models uh, episode, um, although that wasn't the name, but uh, he's just, he's not good for his cost. His damage is so disappointing. Yeah, you think with Pandora, maybe he can do, like, live the dream, execute, or with getting the suit and having the card, you know, you can get that plus two damage. He he looks appealing, right? His sculpt is great. He even got a really cool alt sculpt. Uh, his abilities do not look like they don't do anything, but Carver doesn't do anything. He just, he just dies in a super disappointing way that's compounded because he is a henchman. So you spend more stones to try to keep him alive. So he doesn't cost you 10. He costs you like 12 or 13. Um, I have not had a good Carver game in third edition. And I rarely see Carver taken in the Vassal games that I watch. And Carver doesn't have a good game in those either. So I am not saying he does nothing. He's got Breath of Fire, right? I mean, that's a great ability. I struggle. To say he is a bad model because I feel like he should be good and yet he is a bad model. But am I going to stop taking him? You know, probably not because I just, I love his sculpt so much. Um, I, I have dialed him back. I, I didn't take him actually the last time I played Pandora and I, I, I don't try to take him in Dreamer at all anyways. So I have some self-control with Carver. You know, he has disappointed me to, I guess to a sufficient level to where it's no longer like Hans and Angelica, where I'm constantly trying to justify them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do not think Carver is really the right choice for his cost and for what he does. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because like considering like, you know, the complaints you've been throwing out about these like high cost models it seems like for the most part carver avoids most of those pitfalls right i mean his defenses aren't great but you know terrifying 11 is all right and he can stone when people get by that you know he has a reliable attack stat 7 is great his triggers are all really good triggers um he has breath of fire which is a super good ranged action um he has a useful bonus passing out stun especially in keyword is really useful um, draw essence is situational, but it's nice to have. Draw essence is trash. Like <laughs> if it were willpower, then I think it actually might be interesting because he could also heal off it with feed on fear. Mm -hmm. Um, but he has to take damage. Like I, I struggle. I mean, yeah, he also can heal off it just from the actions effects. That's, I mean, that is true. But I mean, I really kind of struggle. To where, like, let's say, oh, I've got Carver. He's got three life. I'm going to activate him 
and draw essence. And let's say there's three people in range. I mean, that would be pretty good, but it's not impossible. Carver's a fighting model. There could be three enemies within three inches of him, especially because he's 50 mil. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna do this. I'm going to pulse it out. They're all going to fail. Six damage, and I'm going to heal three. I mean, so first of all, no, that's not going to happen, probably. Um, and even if it even if it did, it's not that that's nothing, because it is useful. But it's two damage on three different models. That is nowhere close to six damage on one model. It's not even. I think, you know, I think four damage on one model is probably equal or better than six damage on these three models. Um. And the fact that you can't guarantee that it's going to work at all because, you know, it is all in the hands of the opponent, I I, I, I think this is trash. Now, if he had, because he doesn't have a Tome Trigger, so if he had a Tome Trigger on Shears or maybe a Trigger on Breath of Fire uh, to take this action for free, you know, then maybe I would consider it. But I, I have never taken Drawn Essence I, from, from what I can remember. And the only thing that really, I think, makes it interesting to me is that it's a tactical action, so it does get around things like incorporeal. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's just trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it would be nicer if it was off of willpower, because then it would have, you know, it gives him another attack avenue against high defense models. The With stat 7, I don't think that's usually an issue. Mm -hmm. And it also combo with feed on fear. Yeah, I feel like feed on fear is a nice thing to have, but never really triggers in organic ways i feel like for a lot of the for a lot of games a lot of the models that have it do not have willpower tests uh the success of which it controls right so mm. terrifying opponent controls um duels like i mean draw essence is defense but other sorts of simple duels those are all enemy controlled um attacks are you know attacker controlled i mean in, right in the sense that they can also uh cheat right and it's a contested duel so it's not purely based on what the defender wants to do but a lot of these models don't have willpower attacks right within engagement range or you know that you're going to be in engagement range or some of them don't have them at all um i mean i guess in in pandora's case most of them do have it because they they have glimpse of insanity um but it's just, it's a little bit harder to use than it seems like it should be uh, on the table. And its impact isn't, I mean, yeah, it's one of those, it's nice to have kind of thing. Um, if if there was a ton of hard to kill in this keyword, then it would matter a lot more. Um, <laughs> but there isn't. Uh, I, yeah, the other thing with the, ch oh, sorry. No, no, I was just going to go to the next model. So if you got something on Carver, hey, hate on him all day. I was just saying another thing with the triggers, even though like swift action is a really nice trigger with like two, two, four damage track and like built in crit strike. <laughs> it feels like it's a really awkward situation where I feel like you're almost always just taking the extra damage than like hoping to spike for four damage on your next attack. Yeah. So, I mean, to a certain extent, it is going to be situational, and if you are playing Pandora 1, and she takes that action to give a model um, uh, a move, I think it's 3 inches, and then it gets a suit mm -hmm. built in, right? It's all based on a card that Pandora discards. So you can, you know, bake in 
anything you want. This is kind of, again, the execute dream on Carver. I'm going to, like, bake in crows or the double crit strike or the, you know, built-in swift action. Um, these are the things that makes it look like he should be impactful. Um, and the things, if you're willing to spend resources, right? Like if he had a focus from earlier, you know, he could, Mm -hmm. he could get a straight flip and get severe damage or cheat in severe. And he's got double baked in crit strike. That's stat six. You know, if you have the cards for him, Carver, you know, and, and with a little bit of setup or something, Carver could maybe have like an, uh, like a 12 point, you know, 12 damage turn or something. Right. Um, but it's just in practice, things rarely line up that way. And if you do have those kinds of resources, unless this is the thing you have to achieve on the turn, you know, you, you have other stuff you have to do and you can get other damage dealers that don't have to be Carver, you know, that don't have this miserable 224 that requires um, some sort of weird setup to where he, you know, matches what other top line fighting models are doing so yeah i mean i i I think he's he's just he's too expensive for for what he brings um and too much of too much of what he can do is in fact in you know dependent on setup or having help from other people yeah yeah i can see that especially when you're i feel like when you're at the eight plus price point you're really expecting all these models to be very Mm self-sufficient i would agree with that uh all right what's your next model uh my next model is also close to my heart um from the oni keyword the ohaguro betari (laughs) the henchman the one one of two henchmen and the infinitely worst choice of henchman in keyword she so bad (laughs) just no bonus action no way of getting third ap a two three five damage track on what essentially is supposed to be like an assassin model and this is when you're in a keyword that is all about speed and high damage and like kind of free focus in the form of flicker tokens but like you know getting a plus wolf on a two three five damage track it's like I mean, spiking for the five is nice, but, you know, most of the times you're getting, like, two shots at Flicker before you have to, like, burn a bunch of resources to drop it down, and most of the time that's spent on other summons, and I feel like whenever I'm playing Asami, I'm spending so much time juggling other stuff, and Ohaguro is just, like, sitting in the corner, like, hoping that she'll be useful. Yeah, I mean, looking at her card, I think... This is a model where during the design process, Weird was maybe a bit concerned that she would be too effective at assassinating henchmen and masters, uh, which is kind of, you know, looks like what she's built to do. She she turns off defensive triggers. Uh, she's got a trigger to where damage can't be reduced by stones, and she is a hench, so she could stone for that trigger. She can get built-in pluses with flicker, so she can get up to a straight flip. Um, with no additional uh, setup, right? So she didn't need to have focused earlier or, or anything like that. Um, and so it it looks like it has the potential to be incredibly brutal. And 
So I can understand why Weird maybe hedged its bets a little bit. You know, didn't give it a bonus and got a crappy trigger on lure. You, you know, like why does why does it gain a flicker token on this? Should you know just give it to just give it onslaught or or swift action or something. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I think the way uh, you know Asami gets played, but Ohaguro does not get taken a lot. I'm you know in in the vassal games that I watch, and when I play Asami, I actually generally play Asami as a second master. Um, so I don't hire a lot of Oni. Um, but if I were to play Asami as a first master, I don't think she would really be high on my priorities. And part of that, of course, is that yes, she can do some interesting things. But if you don't need uh, her specific kit, right? Like, if you don't need to turn off defensive triggers, she's a lot less appealing. Um, From the Heavens is still really cool because, as as I've mentioned in the past, um, Soul Stones and, and the variable nature of Soul Stone Reduction really complicates, uh, you, you know, your opponent's math on whether or not they can successfully take off a model. So the fact that Ohaguro can get around that is really useful. I mean, I, I really do value that. But, I mean, I think, you know, when you can summon Jorgumo or Obsidian Oni, you know, when there's damage on the table, this this whole, like, being able to make the removal easier on, on these kinds of henchin, you know, the Soulstone users, I'm not really sold that it's doing enough to justify her. And I think that's probably why we don't see her taken. Now, I would say, though, she probably does deserve more table time against Arcanists who uh, do take Soulstone Cash. So, like, you know, Marcus, right? Um, Marcus loves Soulstone Cash on because he's got some really nice beasts who can do great stuff with Soulstones. Uh, and, and in that situation, she may be a good pick because she could kill these models, um, you know, a lot easier than your opponent sort of expected. And does that sort of like counterpick justifier? You know, probably not. Just the lack of a bonus is so bizarre. Um, yeah, I just again, I have to think that Weird was just kind of scared of her potential during the design. Yeah, and as you're mentioning, I feel like she again suffers from the same issue. It's like, yeah, from the heavens is great, but in order to reliably get it off, you need to dump so many resources into her to get it to work. And I remember there was like one game I was playing against the Vix and I had like a golden opportunity for Ohaguro to finally be useful. There was like a Vic sitting at 5 HP. <laughs> it was like top of turn 2. Top of turn 2 or top of turn 3. I was within like 12 inches so I could move and charge. I had like two severes in hand. One was a ram and I was like this is it. This is the time that she's going to be useful. Like all I need to do is hit, burn a flicker, and there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> like, there's no way that they can block this damage. And of course, they read Joker on defense. <laughs> and then Ohaguro just gets killed and then becomes health for the Vic. <laughs> no defenses. How is this thing not terrifying? I'm scared just looking at it on the card. <laughs> It has no defenses and eight health. It, it, it. I mean, I, you know, I think it's supposed to be the six defense and six willpower is supposed to, you know, like buff it up. And it is nice, but it'd still be nice to have, you know, like something else for when you do get hit. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Well, I'm 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 with you on this. I to see a model like this with no bonus action really uh, is surprising, and you know it. The like the gap is noticeable, right? I mean, she could have a garbage bonus decision, right? So she could have her bonus action, like she could have consume, like Teddy, and in most cases. Is going to be sort of the same as nothing, except for the fact that she is in a summoner keyword. Of course, Teddy is in Nightmare and Pandora 2 Summon, so Teddy is in summoners also, so I guess I shouldn't really say that. But, you know, if she had Consume, would she suddenly be a way stronger model? No, but psychologically, having a bad bonus and having a having no bonus does impact my evaluation differently. I I can definitely see that. I th- I think it's just part of it too. It's like she's the henchman opposite Amanozako, and Amanozako is just so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he gets taken out of keywords sometimes. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, it's I, I do think Asami's keyword kind of has a lot going on, anyways. So do sort of need a reason to take Ohagro, which I'm not seeing. And there's almost never a reason. Exactly. Um. All right. My next model is the showgirl. There's not a lot to talk about it because it's just a bad model. But, you know, again, <laughs> uh, so I should say one thing is in it at the store, which, of course, Colleen, you'll know. But for our listeners, a lot of our games are played sort of on a keyword or core box based um, crew hiring. Right. It's, it's not a rule. It's not even like an informal thing that we all just kind of agree to. Part of it is has to do with model collections. Um, part of it has to do with just kind of like model familiarity. A lot of people don't hire out of keyword very much. And so many people uh, at the store, they play, they hire their entire core box and then they add to it. Um, and in that kind of environment, you know, I'm not going to do these like try hard lists that I've seen on on Vassal um, that, you, you know, are, are going to be fully super efficient models. You know, no, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to play a similar type of game. Um, and, and so I, I do frequently hire a showgirl, uh, when I play Colette, um, they're terrible. Their health is five. Their only defense is manipulative, which means even if they haven't acted yet, oftentimes they die because the opponent has focused and charged and killed them on their severe. You know, that's, it's a manipulative, as I mentioned before, is in some ways incentivizing, you know, counterproductive behaviors from the manipulative model's opponents from the point of view of the manipulative, I don't know why I can't say that word, uh, (laughs) from the point of view of the manipulative model, uh, right? Like manipulative is supposed to help you stay on the table, not supposed to incentivize your opponent to do the things that take you off the table. Uh, Being able to lure your own models, this is really the only thing that justifies this model. Um, It's a little bit of AP transference. Which is never bad. You lure up your better models. Uh, if you um, don't do the thing where you take a silent one and put magical training on, which again, you know, I don't do in these keyword type games because, as I mentioned, um, and you can't stick them on soul soul miners anymore, unfortunately. So, oftentimes the showgirl is my magical training model, and I don't want to expose her to anything. So she's like, <laughs> you know, way in the boonies. Luring is often not super useful in that situation, anyways. So. Yeah, showgirls, models I take uh, partially because of our game environment, but also, you know, because of the sculpts, because of, like, this keyword preference, which 
again, it's not in any way unique. I know many people prefer to play the game at, at, at a keyword basis. Um, but yeah, Showgirls should just not really be hired. And I mean, I should say that when I played a, um, a test game against a much stronger player who just wanted a, like a tune up game during, uh, you know, during their, their tournament prep, I took the competitive Colette list, right? You know, Angelica and the Showgirls, they were not in it. So I very much understand I'm taking these models in spite of rather than, you know, because of what they do. Uh, and I have said in the past, you know, that I kind of look askew at meme lists. Why aren't these meme choices? Well, okay, if you want to say they're meme choices, I guess you can take that position. But I would disagree because I do it for a couple of reasons. One, I'm not trying to make a meme list, right? Like the the laugh or the amusement value of it isn't the point. Um, you know, the point is more the keyword. And also, you know, I, much more strongly, I think, is just that our play environment is so keyword based and, you know, for many people, so co uh, core box based that I think it's the sporting thing to do to take the, the core box minion. Yeah, showgirls not good models. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything to add. <laughs> I, I can, I can definitely understand all the reasonings. You got another? Um, yeah. So this one, um, Willie or Misfire? I, for me, it's like, I, I think there are a lot of things I like about the model, but even now, I just have really good memories of it because my first. Malifaux tournament that we had, which we held locally at the store. I was putting together my um Mayfang crew and I was like looking at other models and I saw like Willy and I was like, oh man, like throw dynamite. That's an amazing action. Like three damage, shockwave two. I'm gonna just like blow up everyone because you know, of course, the enemy's always gonna group their crew right together, so <laughs> I can hit him all with the shockwave. Um, and then I also saw like the misfire model and I really just like the misfire model, you know, sitting on that old timey bike, dropping dynamite. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that Jim actually had a copy of the misfire model and he gave it to me. And honestly, like whenever I get a chance, I'll always just put it on the table because I just love the sculpt so much. Uh -huh. And during the tournament, I actually played against a zip crew and fucking hell misfire did so much work in that game. <laughs> <laughs> blow it to hell like i think we were playing on that one map you have like the i'm not sure if it's a weird scape but it's like the giant like stone gate oh yeah that is a weird scape it's the quarantine walls and and okay. yeah okay. so there's the walls and then the gate and yeah i, I remember because the walls go all I, we put it so that the walls went diagonally across the entire table and then there was the mm -hmm. gate in the center yeah, so I was playing on that map, and my opponent was Zip, and he spent, like, his entire turn just trying to block me in on the other side of the gate, so I'd have to, like, climb and go around the wall. And then Misfire just comes and blows <laughs> it all up. <laughs> it was glorious. I don't think I have actually... I might have hit, like, one or two people with the dynamite throughout the entire tournament, but I'm not sure <laughs> if, I, if I ever actually did. So what is just, the nature of your, you know, subpar experience with Willie then? Because, I mean, I'm looking at his card. I feel like he does useful things. How has he not held up for you? Or is it related to kind of other issues we've been talking about, kind of like, you know, defenses and having other options and stuff like that? 
it's mainly like defensive um trying to get into range to actually you know by the time i'm in range to actually chuck dynamite it's usually close enough for the opponent to just engage you and at that point you know like sharp wit isn't great um i mean you know being agile to move out of the way is great but you know the low health the maybe getting off one dynamite a turn which they just flip and ignore and then basically misfire slash Billy is off the table. Um, again, like I think if you're playing against specific crews, I think he's fine. But you're really kind of like banking on the blow to hell action, and throw dynamite is like a nice little bonus. It is unfortunate that blow it to hell competes with set charge. Uh, I suppose mm. you know maybe it's helped by the fact that uh, set charge the situations where you're going to want to do it. Maybe it's clear enough to where. Uh, they don't really compete in that sense. There is one that's a better choice than the other. Um, but I mean, he's got he's got a lot of marker removal, which would seem to justify him. But the problem is, marker removal is not hard to get in Arcanist. Um, so it it's you know maybe not so easy to say, oh well, take him for the marker removal. So then you have to say, okay, well now you're also taking him for the you know his shockwave, which does damage. I mean that's that's nice. That's not nothing. But still, I mean I can kind of see. What you're saying, because for me, he feels he feels like there are other models that are gonna do what he what he does, um, and I could see why he is sort of like, uh, you know, you just happen to be behind this model, and and that's more why you take it as opposed to uh, what the the stat you you know what's actually printed on the card. Yeah, because I, I feel like there's just a lot of cases where it's like, right, if you're not using it for the marker removal, then it's just kind of like, well, what are you using it for, right? Mm -hmm. Throw Dynamite is nice, but it's not a reliable action. If you need range damage, there's much better options. No defenses is harsh. Hmm. Especially with, like, the explosive three demise with a range <laughs> model who's usually going to be closer to your crew. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can see that. Uh, are you, when Willie dies, you, you know, have you taken care to separate him out? Or were you just playing your game and, oh, now some of your guys are taking three damage? Yeah, I don't think I really thought about it too much. <laughs> but, you know, it's so long ago, I don't really remember. Sure. I was actually watching this one game. Uh, it, it, it's not a Willie game, but um, one guy had Joss. And he had loaded up nine or ten power tokens, something crazy on Joss. And Joss somehow got sent into the middle of, of his own crew and then killed and exploded for the ten damage <laughs> on all of his guys. Oh, no. <laughs> and the thing is, damage you do to yourself, to me, it just it feels so much worse. Especially because... Oftentimes it happens because you've gotten outplayed. You know, like you had your setup, you you made sure your stuff was three inches away, your opponent did something that you you know you didn't expect, moved it, you know, moved the models a smidge, and now you're getting annihilated. And it's just like I took this damage because I'm an idiot. And I just I hate that feeling in Malifo. Yeah, self-inflicted damage, blocking yourself in. <laughs> Fucking up activation order. It it all feels really, really bad when, you know, it's like you dug your own hole mm -hmm. and you just fell in it. 
yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I, I could see it with Willie. Uh, so the last model I want to talk about is Rafkin. Um, to me, Rafkin would be fine at six stones. I mean, I know I said this for Hans, but I really believe this um, about about Rafkin. Just everyone at six stones. <laughs> well, so the thing about Rafkin, he's eight stones. He's an enforcer, so just like Hans, this I feel like eight stones and above is a tough spot for a lot of enforcers. Because of, you know, again, the, the soul stone issue and the fact that many of them have no defenses, right? Rafkin has no defenses. Now he has sustain. If he can survive, he can heal, um, but he has no defenses. And so if your opponent can do the math, if, if they, you know, there's there's no X factors there, right? Other than jokers. It's just if your opponent can force through the hits and can do the damage, the model's dying. For Rafkin, you know, he's he's a good support model. He's giving you uh nice poison, especially now that you can choose to fail with um uh you know the the way simple duels work. Um you can choose to fail your own. So with Flask of Formaldehyde, you can give your your guys a ton of poison at the start, which is really useful for McMorning's crew. Um Transfusion is, you know, okay. Uh, his melee is not great, but you don't want him meleeing anyways. He's mostly just a support model, and that's fine. I just think it would be fine at six, and it's overcosted at eight. That's my basic position with him. Yeah, looking at his card and what he brings, this feels like a way more sensible thing. Like, I don't understand why he's eight points. Like, what is he doing? aggressively that is worth that many points like with hans i could see i mean i you know i do agree with you dropping to six points you know of course you'll take him more but at least i feel like his offensive capability or you know like his potential output is around eight points mm -hmm. we're not far off of there whereas like rafkin yeah it's like he can pass out poison too like oh okay <laughs> why is this an eight point ability like a lucky knife with like what are his triggers even? I guess rip and tear is a nice trigger, but it's also yeah you're going to go into melee with this average stated dude with no defensive abilities and a two three four damage track. Yeah, I don't. This is like to me feels like weird, just like eyeballing cost or just being like well. He's one of like the named characters in this keyword, and he's an enforcer, so he has to be more expensive. Uh huh. I mean, I I think that probably is part of their process. And you know, again, when I say Rafkin should be six, I'm not saying the card as written should be six, right? He has to be taken down a little bit to be six. But I think my point is for what I want him for, you know, because I I I hire him. That's the point of this episode. I hire him, even though I don't really think he's he's worth eight. He's he's giving me a lot during this setup phase, and later on, you know, he can he lets models with poison, uh, your own guys heal because that because of how catalyst works with the keyword, you know, being able to heal at the start of uh, your model's activation that can be really useful in a lot of situations. But he just he doesn't do enough, and especially in that keyword, simply spreading a, along a lot of poison to your guys isn't enough as the game goes on um you can get a uh a kentori 
for the same cost. The Kentori are much more fearsome from a combat point of view, and they have Ride With Me, uh, and they have really great mobility. So, you know, they can threaten scoring. They can threaten the back line. It's, it's, they have one more wound. Of course, they have one less defense. I, I would probably rather have the one defense than the one wound in that case. Um, but he has hard to wound also. Uh, whereas Rafkin has, again, nothing. He has, the Kenari has bloated stench to spread poison. Where Rafkin has nothing. So, <laughs> you, you know, the, these guys are the same cost. They are not the same impact on the field. And giving up a Kentori to hire Rafkin, which is, you know, functionally what I am doing, does not feel good. And I do think in fourth, I would like Weird to take a look at these support models generally. I think I would like to see most support models in the moderate cost, you know, like in a five to seven cost range and simply just not be as good. Uh, Whereas Rafkin, yeah, yeah, I mean, you probably have to say he's eight because he's five, five with eight wounds and he's got like a bunch of abilities and, and, you know, he's, he's, He's decent. If if you made the card that is cheaper, he he'd probably be too cheap. But these, you know, these Rafkin esque models, I think, are struggling a bit. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to continue to take him because I really like him and I like both of his sculpts. I have uh, his sculpt and the alt sculpt. Um, they're both good sculpts. Uh, I I just I I like McMorning's whole like creepy morgue vibe anyways i think that's like pretty neat um so yeah I, i'm gonna take him he is not worth his eight stone he is at least a model that does that reliably does things for me which isn't always true with angelica and the showgirl i mean angelica does always move models around that is true but for rafkin although i may not feel like i got my stones value from him I at least felt like he contributed, and that's not always true of all the models in this list. Hmm. Um, all right, do you have a, a a last model? Uh, yeah my my final model is again with the low keyword is Iggy. Uh huh. Um, I just feel like whenever I play Iggy, you know, he has six health. He's an enforcer. He has manipulative, but then he has reckless. And you can't not reckless with reckless models. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like after the first instance of reckless, I'm just like, I'm going to die to a stiff wind. Because my manipulative is gone. I have 5 HP. I have zero defensive triggers. I just have like defense 5. It's a defensive so trigger. Like... Oh, wait. Does it? Yeah, it's, just, oh, yeah, it's, it's not very fast. good. Oh, right. It's not very good. The The other one... Where if you don't declare triggers, like that one is so much better. Right. Yeah, with candy. I, I completely <laughs> forgot he had a defensive trigger because it never comes up. <laughs> because you just, I guess outside of fighting pigs, <laughs> you just don't declare the trigger. And even then, you know, it's not built in like it is with candy. Right. So, Which is funny. Uh, Iggy is an enforcer. He can't stone for it. Candy is like what? What was that design decision there? Because I mean, well, Candy is an overtuned model, right? I mean, you could talk about Candy all day about. Oh, I love Candy. Yeah, yeah about how problematic she is. But it's just you know you compare these two, and maybe when they were doing development, they thought these two triggers were roughly the same, but they're not. You, you know, the one that that works when no triggers are declared 
massively better, especially in keyword, of course, with all the stunt. But even outside that, right, just blank, if I had to choose one of these two defensive triggers, I would always take the one that's based on uh, reducing damage when there's no trigger. Um, is it is it is a trade off though, right? Because the better the model, the more likely the the trigger matters. So there are times when I would prefer Iggy's, honestly. But just sight unseen, if I had to choose and live with my choice for all time, I would choose Candy. Um, well, I mean, especially in keyword where everyone passes out stuff, right? Right. <laughs> so, so it's like you're effectively disabling Iggy's chance at even using his trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Iggy has Arson, which I think is really good in the current GG. Um, and so that's, I mean, I think there is a role for him as kind of a pretty specialized scheme remover. Um, and he's got Arson, so he can also be used to, to threaten quite a lot of scoring. But his his defenses are not good, and he kind of has the showgirl problem. In that he has manipulative. If he recklesses once, he is now officially in showgirl murder territory. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I don't know that I'm as down on Iggy as as you are, but I definitely can see some issues with him, and it's not like he gets taken all the time. Um, how has Iggy actually performed for you when you do hire him? Um, he outperformed expectations against the pigs because they flipped that and he ended up killing two pigs <laughs> by punching them to death, which is nice. Um, but most of the time he's not doing that much for me, or I guess, you know, I just use him as a scheme runner and just because Pandora too is like so fucking impressive. She's usually her and candy are usually tying up the entire enemy crew while he can just reckless around at like four HP <laughs> and do some scheming for me. Um, it's just whenever the opponent has like a free attack to toss his way, he's basically dead. So he can't get anywhere near anything that's like remotely contested. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Um, his opportunist burning, I mean, he's also got stunned. There's going to be a lot of stunned. Uh, his opportunist burning, because he actually is often kind of on the flanks, I haven't seen it matter in Karis as much as you would think, right? Like, oh, Karis is going to put everyone on fire. But I feel like I see Iggy just get murdered by models that aren't on fire all the time. Oh, he just dies all the time. Yeah. He's, he's, he gets hit by... It's just one shot because you're going to reckless turn one. You, you're, you just are. That's how it works. And then he dies turn two or turn three. That's That's pretty much Iggy's life. So... <laughs> You know, in a nice situation, you're able to get off, like, one arson to deny a point before he gets killed unceremoniously. Well, hey, if a six-stone model denies a point, or even just delays a point, I, I, I think that's that's fair value. Um, so, I guess... Oh, well, I was going to ask, you know, kind of some wrap-up questions, but if you got another thing about Iggy. Uh, I'm just thinking it's also just like everyone in the keyword living in the shadow of candy. <laughs> well, you could also take him in Kairos, but I suppose that's true. Um, but I don't, <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, I think he is a, maybe a bit harder of a sell with the fire starter. Fire starter is only one more. He's also got reckless. Um, he's a henchman, so he gets stone. Um, 
I, I'm, I, I, I think I see that. Uh, so for these subpar models, when they overperform, to me, I, I don't feel validated, really. I feel more like I'm getting a bonus <laughs> because at this point, I do understand that these are not, you know, good models. Um, and partially it is the play environment in which I operate, right? We have a very casual meta. And so it, it does allow a lot of these models that are, you know, they're, they're, they're fine. Um, hmm. and that's good enough actually, you know, because the opponent is also playing fine models and you know, so the, the efficiency gap there, there just really isn't one or it's small. Um, and, and so when they under, when they overperform, uh, you know, I don't feel like I'm a genius or that these models are good and everyone is wrong. I just, you know, oh, well, Hans flipped good this game. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad he wasn't blocked out by some stupid tree the entire time, which has happened before. Uh, but when they underperform, you know, I always have this thought in my head, like, why am I hiring this idiot? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And you know, part of it is, yeah, okay, well, if you know it's a problem, it's it's only on you. But I I'm in this weird trap where I enjoy these models. So I want to play with them, right? I want to play with these specific toys. But when I play with them and it goes the way I, you know, in just a cold logic point of view, expect it should. Then I get disappointed. And so, like, which form of disappointment should I really be preferring? The disappointment of not having them or the disappointment of hiring them and uh, paying the cost because of it? You know, I, I've been playing uh, uh, some uh, some later night games recently uh, just because, you know, my, the way my schedule has been working out. And I've been playing against some stronger players, you know, some players who are stronger uh than i am and and who participate in you know regular tournaments and some of these players you know we're in the top 16 right so i mean we're talking about uh, some of the strongest mouthful players in the world and you know some of my games are okay and you know i've won the occasional game and i've gotten smoked in in many of my games and you know to a certain extent I'm losing some of these games because I'm making the same idiotic, you know, I'm hiring Hans or whatever when I know Hans isn't great. And it's like, it's okay at the game store, but when I start playing against, you know, competition that already has an advantage against me, these differences tell. So I, I do think, depending on, like, how I want my Malifaux experience to be, I do have to start asking myself, like, which disappointment I would rather bear. Uh, for you, Col- kind of sounds like a deep question, but it's well, just kind of funny when you put it like that. <laughs> I mean, I guess you know, for you, um, because you know, I mean, you're not a jerk about it, but you are uh, like a you know, you're a competitive player within the context of the game, right? You know, when you play the game, you're playing the game to win. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, do you find it kind of frustrating? Sometimes that you've saddled yourself with the seeds of your own destruction, right? Like, I mean, you've hired the fire golem multiple times against me, uh, and I don't think it's worked out a single time, right? I mean, there was that Chiaki game, but also more recently we played that game where I was the Vix, and I just, I murdered it like turn one. Um, yeah. 
and and you know again this isn't to sing my praises or whatever i've done plenty of stupid <laughs> things too but it's just like you know for you where do you kind of sit on you know like <laughs> where would you rather take the hit i mean i think it really depends on the environment i think for most like casual games i'm fine just being like this was not a good decision to hire it um but you know like for tournaments and stuff you know if i'm in the mindset like i want to do well i prefer not to do things like that because i don't want to have like an excuse to fall back on Mm -hmm. you know it's like oh the reason i didn't take this game was just because i took this weak model and that's the only reason um you know i'd rather give my chance you know like make sure i'm setting up myself for success so that when i do fail i know it's for legitimate reasons and not because I was like handicapping myself because I wanted to put my cool looking model on the table. Right. No, I mean, I, I can get that. And I do think that if you play in a competitive atmosphere, it's not that fun goes out the window, but I do think a different mindset is kind of, you know, maybe I don't want to say healthy, but appropriate perhaps. And, and in some ways, maybe respectful to the, to the format. Cause I can definitely appreciate that. Hey, you know, when you play the game on a casual basis and if your enjoyment is tied to specific models, right? Like if you're invested in specific models and those are the ones you want to play with, you're playing, you know, just to have fun, go for it. Um, but I do think in a competitive environment, yes, it is a game. Yes, having fun is important, but like respecting the format um, is also important. And I, you know, that's why I think bringing meme lists is sort of disrespectful to a tournament. I mean, I think it's disrespectful uh, in a casual day too, if your opponent doesn't already understand that that's what you're going to do, because most meme lists offer kind of terrible play experiences. Um, but, you know, I mean, I've talked about this in the past, like regarding the Crossroads 7, you know, some some concerns I've had about whether or not it's really respectful of the format. Um, they just happen to be my, my favorite crew in third. Um, I don't think... Well, so, I mean, fortunately, I don't think any of the models here, except for maybe the showgirl, are, like, so bad to where if I set them up in in a tournament, my opponent's going to be like, seriously, dude? Um, But I do think, you know, going back to how you're saying you don't want excuses, I do think most of the models on this list are like, you know, you could have made a better choice that would have given you uh, a, a more clear path to victory. Yeah, I, I think the thing is, it's not like, you know, these models, like we've been saying, are irrevocably bad, right? You put them on the table and it's just like you're shitting all over the game. I think it's not as like clean as like a very like binary thing. It's like, oh, if this stat was like one higher, they're better. They're just like being, you know, like their stats just aren't on the level. Like there's a lot of like kind of minor issues that for some of these models it's a little more apparent than others for some it's a little harder to see but like one thing that i just always notice especially like jumping from honeypot over to woe and especially pandora too it i don't necessarily feel like everything i've gotten is like so much more powerful it's just like accomplishing things in the game just feels so much easier mm-hmm. like there's so much less resistance to every action i take like when i ever i play honey 
honeypot even when i win by a large margin i feel like i'm struggling for every single point whereas now with like pandora 2 it's like sometimes it's like i don't realize like i've got it feels like i've gotten way farther ahead than i should have for like the amount of effort and like planning i actually and like forethought i put into the game (laughs) i just see that uh so going forward um you know having talked about this uh do you think you're gonna continue to put these subpar models i mean to a certain extent is there any sort of challenge element to it where it's like yeah you know most people i mean not that you think everyone is just wrong but mm-hmm. you know there's a way to use these models that other people are maybe sleeping on or you know yeah it might take a little bit of setup but you can still get you, you know, what's your feeling on these kinds of subpar models that you still take uh going forward like like uh ohagoro why are you gonna keep taking it is it just you're gonna live with uh you know you're an acceptor for who she is or you know you really are gonna try to lay into maybe this um soulstone assassin uh role that you you know that we think weird probably had in mind um and just try to make that work to the best extent that it can it's going to vary a little based on what's in the list, just because like I've played some crews and some models way more than others. Mm-hmm. So for the example of Oh Haguro, it's just, I'm saddled with it. I, I have not played a game where I ever felt like it was a good idea to bring her. <laughs> there was just like, there was that, you know, I even talked about that one game against the Vakes. There was like the golden opportunity for her to do something. And again, I think it's like you were saying, it's not that it would have felt validated. It was just like, oh my God, there's, it feels like in those movies, like, you know, where a person has like a boomerang and everyone's using guns. It's like that one contrived situation (laughs) where it's actually fucking useful. (laughs) It was like, this is my moment, but you know, we could have, I could have accomplished that in so many other ways. And like, probably if I had brought Ohaguro, I might've been, like in a stronger position overall even if i didn't have that like assassination run opportunity mm-hmm. um for teddy i'm i still feel like there's a little bit of play because i just feel like especially with the combination with um baby Cade, mm-hmm. just like being able to get those coordinated attacks like pretty reliably especially with on a stat seven i feel like there's potential for it and I haven't gotten enough games in to completely write him off. Like, even in the games that I brought him, I felt like he's underperformed, but I didn't feel, like, as bad as I do with, like, some of these other models. Like, Fire Golem, I'll still bring him, but it's always just sad knowing how, like, fragile he actually is. Um, Willie, Misfire, I'm always going to put on the table. I don't, like, Compared to the other ones, like my experience with Misfire, I think has been mostly positive. Uh-huh. It's just like now knowing the game better, it's like the things, the the reasons I originally wanted to put Misfire into my crew no longer really apply. Right. So I don't think I would bring it if not for the sculpt. Sure, sure. that makes sense. Uh, how how do I say this? Like. Is your enjoyment of Malifaux tied to specific models um, particularly strongly? Like, would you, you know, if you if you didn't bring Misfire to a main game, like, would that have a 
you know, a measurable impact on your enjoyment of that game? I think it would. Mm-hmm. I I would feel bad for not bringing Misfire just because I love the sculpt. Right. No, I, um, that's why I think like if I played in like a digitally, this would definitely not have as much an effect on me. Interesting, because I still try to bring Hans in Vassal. But uh, yeah, after I play Vassal, like I just can't like visualize the model. It's just like a little piece of paper, and I just care a lot less. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I can't visualize things um, at all. I, I didn't realize that this was a, a condition. I just thought this was how everyone worked. But, you know, apparently most people, like when they imagine, you know, they close their eyes and they imagine something, they can actually like see it. Um, mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's the default human condition. But I thought the default human condition is that you don't see anything. You just sort of know that you're thinking about it. Uh, and it, it totally shattered my worldview. Like, you know, blow my mind has been so overused, but it really did blow my mind when I, when I realized, uh, no, like that's, that's not the way most people see the world or, you know, see the imaginary world. So maybe I don't have that, you know, that same issue with Vassal. You know, I have been hearing that a lot. And now that I'm thinking on the other hand, like how clearly are you actually supposed to be able to like imagine stuff in your head? Cause I feel like, for me, I could definitely do it, but it feels like really fuzzy. So I did, once I found out this was a thing, I read some articles and one article had a uh, a picture of a horse. It was the same picture of a horse, but there were like four different ones and the, the colors were increasingly like blacked out. And so the first, the first picture was, was clean and the last was just this black square. And, you know, so it was a spectrum and you were supposed to, uh, you know, put yourself on the spectrum and I'm all the way on the black square. I... You know, if I close my eyes, I think about a horse and I hate horses so much um, that that's another thing to get into. Um, but yeah, I I know I am thinking about a horse. Like, I understand that that's true and I understand the horse's the horse's characteristics, but I do not see anything. I just see black, like just pure black, no matter how hard I think about this horse. Mm, okay. Yeah, like, thinking about, like, all this variation and, like, capabilities and not being aware of things. Because I remember, like, one of my friends, he had to go in for, like, brain surgery. And he said afterwards, like, his memory had gotten so much worse. And he was telling me, like, all these things he used to be able to do and then what it was like now. (laughs) And as he was explaining it, I'm like, his memory now is, like, what my memory has always been. Uh, all right. Well, so anyway, so the point where we're talking about health ailments, um, we probably have exhausted the topic. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, if you you know made it this far, uh, we, you know, again, we we're just always thrilled whenever we hear from uh, anyone, and we actually we got a couple of episode uh, suggestions. We will um be following through with those at some point. Um, and so yeah, keep them coming. Uh, we have a PayPal and Patreon. If you want to support the channel in that way, that would be super appreciated. You know, maybe one day we can um, get up to looking at going back to Zencaster or something. Although I, you know, I despise them for their naked commercialism. Um, and yeah, other than that, uh, hope you guys have fun playing Malifaux. <laughs> and uh, see you next time. Night, everyone. <laughs>